Coming up on Tech News Weekly, I, Micah Sargent, and my co-host Jason Howell have a great show planned for you. First, we talk to the Mr. Mobile himself. It's Michael Fisher, who joins us to talk about Samsung's Galaxy Unpacked event. Yes, it's time to get the lowdown on those Galaxy phones. Then, Reed Albergati of Semaphore joins us to talk all about the future of ChatGPT as OpenAI gets ready to launch GPT-4. It's all that and more before we round things out with our stories of the week. Up first, Anchor finally, finally, finally has an answer about those security cameras. You know, the Eufy security cameras? Yeah, we get our questions answered. And the AI boom is here. Peter Kafka has a great piece in Vox that I talk about uh, regarding kind of looking at the past with different tech booms and what we can expect from AI and generative AI in particular going forward. Stay tuned. It's a great show you don't want to miss. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This This is Twit. This is Tech News Weekly, episode 271, recorded Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. This episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Collide. You can meet your security goals and pass your audit without compromising on privacy. Visit collide.com slash TNW to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag, including a t-shirt, just for activating a free trial. And by Shopify. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period to take your business to the next level today. Visit shopify.com slash twit, all lowercase. And by Dell, client solutions devices orchestrated by the experts at CDW, which deliver a more personalized user experience with adaptive AI-based software that boosts collaboration wherever your team works. Learn more at cdw.com slash Dell client. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to Tech News Weekly, the show where every week we talk to and about the people making and breaking that tech news. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent. Breaking it. I'm Jason Howell, (laughs) the other host. Uh, Good to see you, Micah. Uh, Hopefully we won't break any phones today, but we will talk about some phones. Phones that could be broken, but one should not break, yes. Yeah, I suppose so, except they have the new Victus Glass 2, so hopefully that means the displays won't break. What are we even talking about here? Samsung uh, held its big event, its Galaxy event, just yesterday in San Francisco. I actually did live coverage at the Twit Studio, the comfort of the Twit Studio. Uh, But this is the Samsung Unpacked 2023, and this time we got some new phones, yes, we also got some new laptops, and Michael Fisher, a.k.a. Mr. Mobile, uh, was at the event and is here to talk about the announcements and his initial thoughts of some of the hardware. It's great to have you back, Michael. Welcome. Very happy to be back, Jason and Micah. Thank you very much for, for having me. I'm back in San Francisco for the first time in a very long time, and I'm feeling very good about it. I got to say, you, you're, you're staying in a nice hotel room. That thing looks yeah. swank. The Clancy. It's fancy. They do a nice job. <laughs> the fancy the Clancy. Fancy Clancy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. Cool. Well, what better place for you to have a phone as, uh, I don't know, as fancy in and of itself as the Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra, which, Indeed. if I'm not mistaken, you have in your hands right now. 
I do indeed. It is the cream colorway, which means I have some gold rails, which you which don't really read on this camera here. But believe me, it is very nice. It's much nicer in person than you might expect, having seen the renders and the photos, because it kind of looks like last year's model a lot. But yeah, as usual, you have to experience it to understand it, right? Yeah, I mean Samsung year after year. It's it's one of the things that I appreciate about Samsung. Actually, it's something that I appreciate about OnePlus as well. Uh, that's a, that's a story for another day. Is their commitment, their dedication to the design, right? Uh, first and foremost, Samsung phones are just beautiful when you've got them in your hand, and I mean you're paying a price for that for that beauty, especially with the Ultra. It's a it's a pricey device. But what do you think mm-hmm. about the design touches? I mean, it seems in some ways that these phones, compared to last year, are in many ways incremental. What what's your thought? <laughs> You're absolutely right. I was interviewed a couple times at the Experience Center yesterday by some of my friends who are also reporters, and they asked one of them, Nirav, asked me for a one-word description. I said iterative because it is mm-hmm. one of those years. It's not a revolutionary uh, hardware shift, but again, like when you get it in your hand, it is very, very different. Not least of all because they've taken an already boxy design in the Ultra and boxified it some more, which will make a particular stripe of nerd very happy because many people complain that these curved screen edges are not the ergonomic win that Samsung has always talked about and B, make it more difficult to use the included S Pen. And so a boxier design this year actually solves both of those problems. And it's it's pretty cool, even after, what, 30 hours that I've had this thing. Like, it's much easier to use than a previous generation. So sometimes it is the little things. When you're talking about the boxy design of the Ultra, are the mm-hmm. other ones, so we've got the S23, the S23 Plus, is it? Correct. And then the Ultra. Are yes. the reg the reg variant and the Plus, are they more of a curved design or is Samsung kind of bypassing the curvy display um, almost entirely here, which would, would be my preference? Yeah, so I I believe that those are a flatter thing. I only have the Ultra in hand. I don't have the other two, and I didn't spend an awful lot of time with the other two on the on the show mm-hmm. floor just because it's just not really my my beat. But my perception was that yes, they were all pretty flattened out. Good. I think that's yeah. a good approach, and especially if you're using so the S Pen, right? You don't want the side of the screen to drop off. Uh, you right. Be precise with that little digital pen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you do. Yeah, which is yeah. it's a shame. They took the custom color off of the pens this year. I think they took it off last year. They're all black, but they do have a little the the clicky bit on the end matches the yep. whatever color of the rails you get. Okay. All right. So there was a big focus. Um, in fact, I think the first 20 minutes of the hour long presentation, uh, which is about two thirds of the presentation around the phone were all dedicated to the camera system. We knew this a little right. bit in advance that Samsung really was going to put high emphasis on the improvements that they're making in photography and videography. And of course, when I think of both of those things, I do think of you because you highly, uh, you know, the, pr- the stuff that you produce on you. YouTube and online is of high quality. So, you know, you. uh, you're right up there with the uh, Hollywood film directors that they brought in for their presentation <laughs> to say, hey, they're shooting their stuff on, on these phones as well. What do you think of the upgrades to the camera system? Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. Mr. Mumble is Ridley Scott. Thanks, Jason. There you I go. Appreciate that. <laughs> Happy to put that in there. <laughs> um, so, you know, it. The the technical upgrades to the camera this year are impressive, but 
One thing that I think a lot of us have been hoping for over the years, and by a lot of us, I mean a lot of tech YouTubers who like to shoot on mobile and regular YouTubers, is a, an Android device that can replace the iPhone. Because no matter how many Android phones I have on my desk, and there are four right now just on this trip, I always have to have an iPhone with me because it is superior in mobile videography, if not necessarily mm -hmm. photography. Uh, and it was very clear to me when I started seeing the leaks and started learning about the S23 line and the Ultra that Samsung is really coming hard for that and trying to close that gap. So, um, yes, they, I mean, we can talk about the camera system itself, but the the video specific enhancements to noise reduction and particularly optical image stabilization. Samsung is implementing this wider OIS now, which should let you actually run with the device and track a subject. I have done this. I've asked somebody to run ahead of me on the sidewalk and I just followed him recording in video in low light. And the performance is stunning compared to what would have happened last year. I have another side by side with the iPhone, but it's very encouraging. Keep in mm. mind, I've been saying this every year. I get a day in, <laughs> I'm like, this is this the phone? Is this the one that's going to let me keep the iPhone at home? But um, it hasn't happened yet. So this is the, this gives me more hope than anything has recently that we'll finally yeah and, Sam and samsung's done pretty well uh, to date um in recent years when it comes to video recorded on these devices uh certainly you know in in the years where we were talking about the pixel camera being the best camera you know best android camera possibly the best mobile camera and everything video was always left out of that conversation google really yeah. was never nailing the video side of things I've thought in the no. past like two or three years that Samsung video goes toe to toe with anything, with most anything that I've experienced elsewhere, but I haven't had a huge amount of time with the iPhone. So, and I realize that that's kind of like the, the cream of the crop as far as that's concerned. So as as uh, I'm hopeful. Video, sure. Yeah. Yep. As far as mobile video, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. No question. I mean, there, you know, there are these little, little, I don't know what idiosyncrasies to Samsung cameras when you're shooting video for years, we've had this stabilization problem where even though the image is stabilized, if you're walking or something, you'll see lights that reflect internally on the lenses, these weird, like little artifacts that happen. And this looks to address a lot of those. I mean, Samsung straight out called them out in a lot of the, the briefings. They're like, yep, we fixed this. We fixed this. We fixed this. So, I mean, they seem pretty confident and that's, you know, refreshing and, and exciting in, a, in an otherwise very iterative device. They're clearly sure. taking the camera very seriously. Now, another big change that's happening with the, not just the Ultra, but the whole lineup of S23 devices is that we're no longer seeing the Exynos, Samsung's internally you know, built Exynos chips powering right. the overseas versions of these phones. It's Snapdragon all the way <laughs> mm -hmm. at least for now i don't and i, I couldn't tell like you know in in my reading up on this and everything whether that's just a change for the future or it's just like this year we've determined that snapdragon is the right fit for everyone what what is your take on that does that really like is this really a, a difference that anyone as a user is going to notice uh you know yeah. when they're using this phone what do you think Certainly in, in markets that previously would have had Samsung Exynos processors powering variants, because Samsung, you're absolutely right, they used to do in other markets that were not the U.S. predominantly, they would sometimes offer the same exact device with a different CPU, their own Exynos, uh, you know, homegrown uh, solution. And that performance was almost exclusively, inevitably poorer 
the phones heated up faster, they throttled faster, you know. So mm-hmm. in those markets, now that they're getting, they were signing petitions. I think it was uh, Ars Technica that called this out, that users were were actually like starting grassroots efforts to force Samsung to ship to offer Snapdragon-powered devices in those markets. So, yeah, I think those people are going to see a, a big improvement Um also, this is not just the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2. It's the 8 Gen 2 right. for Galaxy. So what does that <laughs> represent? It's like a like a 200 megahertz um, overclocking on the CPU and the GPU is boosted sure. to, I don't know. You know, We'll see how it they're compares to They're taking it to 11 is what they're doing. Yeah. yeah, right. But more <laughs> interesting to me, like more informative, and this is one of the only things you get out of a going to a tech event or watching it streamed, even though you've been briefed on everything ahead of time, is you see how serious a company is about its partners. They brought up um, Cristiano Amon, the CEO of Qualcomm, up on stage. um, And they had like, I don't want to say 100 people, but they had an awful lot of Qualcomm people there along with them. It seemed to be a very big rededication to that partnership, uh, Hmm. which I don't think they would have done if this was just going to be a one-year thing. And next year, they were going to go back to using Exynos in their high-end phones. That's a really great uh, distinction uh, to point out. I hadn't really made that connection. If they're bringing them up on stage, it probably represents more than just like a last minute, like, eh, we wanted to use Exynos, but we realized we probably shouldn't this time around, but we'll get back to it. Although there have right. been there have been murmurings that Samsung is working on its own chip a la Tensor, you know, to kind of focus on onboard AI um, processing and stuff. So I don't know how that how that lines up with, you know, an Exynos or a non-Exynos future for Galaxy phones, but, um, or Same. even when that might happen, but it really does. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It kind of seems like maybe it's Qualcomm for the, for the near term and, uh, we'll see yeah. what happens longer term. Yeah. Yeah. And they also had Google on stage too. So there was that, you right. know, they reinforced that relationship as well, which you know, for, for any of us who lived through the Galaxy S5 uh, period where it was like, God, Samsung and Android are really not getting along here. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's nice to see everybody being friends again. That was about the time where we started to realize, wait a minute, they can go through a, a, an entire event, talk about this phone top to bottom and never once say the word Android. How how did yeah. that happen? <laughs> you know, I don't even know that Android as a word was spoken more than maybe once or twice yesterday. It's still very, very minimal. Absolutely. Yeah. You're still buying a Galaxy after all, right? That's that's right. And most, you know, most people are, you know, Samsung is the competitor to Apple when we're talking about mobile phone uh, makers, at least here in the U.S. It really seems like Samsung has has the grip along with Apple. Google is distant, distant down the road, even though they, they created the O.S., it's really it's a Samsung Android universe here in the U.S. Elsewhere, I realize outside of the U.S., you know, those those dynamics shift around and they change a little bit. But Samsung's powerful. We haven't even touched on the laptops, but we don't need to go there. We're, we've run out of time, Michael. I really appreciate you uh, taking some time to talk to us about the Ultra and the S23 lineup. And uh, I want to make sure that people know where to find your coverage of this, because I'm sure you're going to be doing uh, full yeah. full coverage of these devices. Where, what do you want people? Know. I sure will. I'm going to run a full review at uh, the Mr. Mobile YouTube channel. It's the T-H-E-M-R-M-O-B-I-L-E, the Mr. Mobile on YouTube. And that'll take a, a week or 10 days. I'm going to take my time with sure. this and uh, relearn everything I used to know about cameras. In the meantime, I'll be tweeting about it at Captain Two Phones on Twitter. Captain the number two phones. Right on. Michael, always a pleasure to get the chance to talk with you. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Likewise. Thank you for having me very much, Jason. And hopefully we do this again soon.
Absolutely. We will talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Michael Fisher. Uh, up next, it's time to talk about the future of ChatGPT, as if it wasn't already just the future in the first place. Uh, before yes. we get there, though, I do want to take a second to talk about Collide, who are bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. If you right now are listening to this podcast, then... You know, I look at the odds and there's a good chance at some point you'll go through an audit like SOC 2 or ISO 27001. And when you do, you're going to have to answer some tough questions about endpoint security. Questions like, do all your company laptops have their disks encrypted? Does everyone have the company's password manager installed? Do you have a system in place to monitor and maintain compliance throughout your cross-platform fleet? And even if you are confident the answer to all of those questions is yes, there's a bigger question. And that question is, can you prove it to an auditor? If you're not quite sure how you'd go about proving compliance across your fleet of devices... Well, then you need Collide. Collide is an endpoint security tool for Mac, for Windows, and Linux devices that does things MDMs can't and gives you the visibility you need to achieve and maintain compliance. Best of all, and this truly is best of all, Collide doesn't resort to surveilling, to paying attention to employees, to watching what they're doing, uh, to you know sitting in the background and tattling on them or locking down those devices. Instead, it works with end users to resolve issues and relies on their cooperation and informed consent. I remember when I first saw a demo of this and I thought, this is the most brilliant thing ever because I've worked at several companies and at those companies, you see people uh, who are told you You've got to do this. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And you're sitting there going, okay, but why do I need to do this? Why is that important? Why am I having to delete this file every time? Collide works with those employees. It explains why things need to happen. It reminds them when something's not how it should be. And I just think it's so smart to work with them as opposed to it being this kind of, oh boy, now I've got to go get told off by the IT staff. No, Collide does it right. You can meet your security goals and pass your audit without compromising on privacy. Visit collide.com slash TNW to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag, including a t-shirt, just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash TNW. Thank you, Collide, for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. And now we're back to the show. Ah, so it turns out that technology just keeps on improving, just keeps on keeping on. And uh, something that's right around the corner that is seemingly going to be a big deal is the next iteration of ChatGPT joining us to talk about OpenAI, ChatGPT, and what happens next is Semaphore's own Reed Albergati. Welcome back to the show, Reed. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hell's Plant's healthy. I've been watering it, so we're all good. Um, good, good. <laughs> good to get you back on Thank the show. So um, this is you know, an ongoing conversation uh, as we've been obviously seeing ChatGPT up to this point. But one of the big things... Um, that you uh, kind of got the scoop on over at Semaphore is the next iteration of GPT. And I have to tell you, I was a little embarrassed uh, as I was reading through this. I thought, okay, so I've, I've learned large language models. I've learned all these terms. I never thought to look up what GPT stood for for some reason. So I was hoping you could start by talking about the next iteration of GPT, what GPT stands for, and kind of give us the basics before we dig in. Yeah. Okay. So first, but you know, taking a step back, 
um, you know, I've been following the, the sort of trajectory of this, talking to people who've used, um, you know, various iterations of this or have been working on training, uh, you know, open AI products. Uh, it is, I think they are going to get much, much better. And I think this, this product release is, is pretty exciting. Um, we, GPT three is what powers chat GPT, which is the big craze. You know, everybody's using it. Um, and the GPT four, I think is coming out very soon. Um, there's going to be a mobile app. Um, it's going to be much more detailed. It's going to sound much more human-like. Um, and, and OpenAI, the company that owns uh, ChatGPT, has been hiring all of these. We broke this story last week. They've been hiring uh, a lot of contractors, including computer programmers, to try and actually teach this thing how to write code. Um, so it's expanding its capabilities. And the reason they're doing this is, you know, th this technology that underlies uh, OpenAI, you know, ChatGPT, um, Dolly, which is their image uh, system, it's it's built on these so-called transformers, um, which is a big revolution in artificial intelligence. But they didn't invent that. That was invented by Google, Google Brain, uh, which open sourced it a number of years ago. I think it was 2021. Um, and so what, to, back to your original question, what does GPT stand for? It's this um, general, uh, sorry, uh, generative pre-trained transformer. Um, so they basically taken this technology and used and trained it on this massive amount of information. Uh, some people say it's basically, you know, the, the whole internet. Um, and so, you know, they're, if they don't do this, if they don't keep pushing it forward, they're sort of at risk of being, um, sort of, you know, obsolete pretty quickly as competitors like Google, like Facebook and other, you know, smaller companies like Anthropic are sort of like working on, uh, new, new versions of, of all of this. So is every iteration of GPT just now we've sort of made, so to speak, if, if we can imagine GPT is this kind of, uh, uh, it's a, oh goodness, it's a Kirby or it's a Pac-Man and it goes around and it eats all the things on the internet. Is it just that each new version of GPT is a bigger Pac-Man or Ms. Pac-Man and so then it can store the latest bit of information or are there other changes that are taking place as well, more so than just gobbling up the new stuff that's on the internet? It's definitely more than just gobbling up new stuff. I mean, it is okay. that and it, it is getting bigger and in part, the bigger part um, and the faster part, it is faster, is is has to do with like innovations on the server side, which is the boring part of this that nobody really wants to talk about. But but Microsoft and OpenAI, Microsoft is this big investor uh, in OpenAI. We we broke the story that they're uh, going to invest about ten billion dollars uh, into into OpenAI. Um, they partnered a few years ago. They they built this supercomputer with like two hundred eighty thousand uh, GPUs um, to try to, to crunch all this data. So that's another big advantage they have. There's only a handful of companies that have servers that are that big and that powerful that they can actually do this for like mass the masses. Um, and but it's not just that, right? So by releasing this to the public. OpenAI is now getting a flood of new data. Every person who uses that is, in essence, training the model. Um, you can actually rate uh, your conversation with like a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and you can write, you know, what the answer should have been. I don't know how many people are actually doing that, but but that helps. And also, just by asking it questions and follow up questions, 
um, it starts to to learn and get better. So I think it's it's not just more; it's also it's better, more detailed, more precise. Mm, yeah, the, and the speed is one thing that you talk about. Um, I, you know, I have gone obviously to Chad GPT, and uh, a lot of times it's not available because it's at its peak hours. And uh, when you do ask it a question, it spins and spins and spins. Um, with I have to say, although it does seem kind of boring on the face of it, and it's not stuff that people are paying attention to, when you start to read about uh, the system that's behind actually making this a possibility, it does get pretty interesting pretty fast if you're, you know, at all kind of into geeky internet uh, technologies because you've got these huge uh, supercomputers that are having to to run this system. And I don't think that on the front of it, people on the face of it, rather people think about that, um, that part of it. Now, we... Um, we saw Microsoft make this kind of investment into the company and say, hey, look, um, we are are wanting to uh, potentially make a make some money off of this investment. But the big thing that was kind of sitting in the background at the time was Microsoft may try to work in some of uh, what OpenAI provided into its products. And it was kind of like, oh, is Clippy merging with ChatGPT? But the bigger conversation seems to surround search engines. And this could be internet shattering, right? Because Google has typically been the company that uh, we all go to for for search. So what is it about um, artificial intelligence that could make a difference in search to the point that um, I never thought I never thought in my life I'd be telling people to Bing it instead of Google it? Why would I maybe want to do that in the future? Yeah, I mean, Google definitely has this technology. Um, they're they're they have probably. I mean, I haven't seen it, um, but I've heard. I mean, it's it's maybe even more advanced than what OpenAI has. But I think they have sort of this problem, which is that they, you know, it it costs something like a couple cents every time someone does one of these queries. So to just launch this and and incorporate it into Google products, which have billions of users. Um, every day, I think it would just it would just be prohibitively expensive. So they have to sort of figure out um, how do they do that. I mean, it's also kind of risky because who knows what the answers will be, and what kind of abuse people will sort of uh, try to create when they use this, mm-hmm. and that could sort of embarrass Google. Uh, Microsoft has been working on incorporating this, and I think they have maybe a little bit of a head start in thinking these through these things through because they have they have been working with open ai for so long and obviously thinking about this but pretty soon they are planning on incorporating it into into bing and i don't know exactly what that's going to look like um we may we may you know see that fairly soon but um you know internet search hasn't really evolved that much i mean certainly in the in behind the scenes, you know, it get, it gets better all the time, um, but really, it's just Google and and what I've noticed with Google over time is it's just more and more ads. Um, I think it's really exciting that Microsoft has been working on something that could actually kind of kickstart a new competition in in search engines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's again the the fact that there is even a change there is is quite big. Now, uh, another story that you wrote recently that that sort of serves as uh, more about ChatGPT is how OpenAI has um, 
hired a bunch of contractors. Um, can you talk about what's involved with uh, hiring these contractors, why OpenAI would be after this and, and what it could mean for the future of ChatGPT and other technologies that OpenAI provides? Yeah, so what I thought was interesting, I mean, over the past six months, they've hired around a 1,000 um, contractors around the world. And that's nothing really new. I mean, AI companies all the time hire contractors to do labeling. What's really fascinating about this, though, is about 40% of them, so roughly 400, are computer programmers. And normally, you don't need computer programmers to do labeling, right? You just need people to who know you know, what an orange looks like or something, you know, and they could say, okay, tell the computer, this is an orange and the computer learns. Um, But because OpenAI has a product where they're actually, um, this is actually incorporated in um, GitHub, this co-pilot thing where it will sort of auto-complete, auto-complete your, your computer code for you and sort of speed up the process of writing code. It's been really popular with coders and really helpful um, but they're sort of they're trying to take that to this new level where entire parts of sort of the the sort of um, more grunt work, if you will, um, in in writing code will be completely automated. So they have these these coders now who are you know sitting in all over the world in front of their computers and they're being asked to sort of complete coding tasks and then explain you know why they did what they did. And the idea is like by doing that eventually down the road you could write computer software just just by describing it and to me that's one of the most exciting use cases and there's several um that i've sort of thought about but just the ability for a non-technical person to dream something up and then describe it and have it be created by a computer um is really kind of like that could be really transformative i think yeah oh man that's that's the stuff i used to sit and think about you know you just you just tell it what you want and it actually can do it. That is the future I would love to see uh, for sure. Now, uh, you know, we, we talked about uh, a little bit about these uh, on the show. Uh, I, I mentioned that some of the contractors um, were, you know, receiving low pay uh, for for labeling of uh, certain content. There was a time uh, piece all about that. Um, so, that leads me to wanting to talk about the image side of things, uh, because, you know, on one side, we've got chat GPT, this bot that eventually, um, as you mentioned, will have an app uh, where you can also use these features. But tell us about what could uh, be in the future for doll E, the image generation platform that takes things to the next level. Yeah, totally. Um, so the content moderation uh, story that Time ran is a little bit, just to be clear, like a little different than the, what the programmers are doing, which is like labeling um, how to code stuff. Those contractors uh, who were in Africa, and I'm forgetting which specific country right now, um, I, were yeah. low pay, but I, what was, what was that? Oh, I said, I, I am as well. I, I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Of my head. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they were paid low, but I think like the the point of that was more that they were sort of traumatized by reading um, and maybe even watching, uh, you know, images that were sort of like graphic and, and, and horrifying. Um, I think, you know, sorry, my earpiece is like falling out. Um, but I, I think that um, 
with Dolly, this was another story that we we broke actually. Um, that Dolly actually gets run through an external company every time an image shows up. It first sort of goes through this automated process that's that's outside OpenAI um, that actually screens it for uh, potential you know graphic images and things that they don't they don't want to show. Um, so there, I, I think there are real um, there there are real challenges right with with sort of making sure that as the, like the the source material, the data sets are just so vast and there's so much stuff out there that screening out like, you know, offensive content is, is a real challenge. Um, and, and I think it's telling that the, that they have to use an outside company for Dolly because it kind of shows you like the parameters with which all this new AI has to exist. Like it's not good for everything. I mean, it's amazing at drawing from vast data sets, but like getting really specific answers that are correct, which is what's required for that type of content moderation, it still kind of needs to be trained by humans or, um, you know, uses a like an older machine learning, deep learning, which of course is relative, still relatively new and revolutionary in itself. But it uses more of those types of techniques rather than the large language models or transformers that that we've seen in the the newer stuff. Understood. Um, is there anything else uh, with the upcoming uh, chat GPT or excuse me, I keep wanting to say that GPT four? Uh, anything else that you'd like to share with us that you have uh, discovered thus far? Um, and is there any estimate on when this rollout is uh, set to take place? Well, I, I think it's definitely very soon. Um, like I, I thought maybe even this week, but I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, but who knows? I mean, behind, I think it's shifted a little bit, but definitely in the coming weeks. Um, I think it's, you know, I think, I've, I think we've touched on everything I've heard about sort of what, what is new about it. It's faster. It's more detailed, more human sounding. They've got, uh, the, um, the app coming out. I think, Oh, there is one thing about Dolly that I didn't mention, which is that they are working and I don't know when this will come out, but they are open AI is working on a way to, create video with Dolly. And that's mm -hmm. something that you can already kind of do with um, stable diffusion. We've done some of that at Semaphore, actually. Our, our video team has done some really amazing stuff with that. Um, but that's that's a new capability that I think we might see down the road with, uh, with Dolly. Interesting. Well, Reed Albergati, I want to thank you so much for your time today. Always a pleasure to have you on the show. Of course, folks can head to semaphore.com to check out your uh, work. That's S-E-M-A-F-O-R.com. Uh, but if they want to follow you online, is there a good place they can go to do that? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter still uh, at my name, at Reed Albergati, and uh, could always use more followers. So, you know, follow <laughs> me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was fun. All right, we are going to take a quick break and then get into our stories of the week. And my story of the week is going to be the topper, and it's about Anchor, who we talked about in previous episode. Coming clean now. We've been waiting for that. Finally. <laughs> Finally, yeah, it's about time. But first, this episode of Tech News Weekly is brought to you by Shopify. I know that sound. Do you know that sound? That's the sound of another sale on Shopify and the moment when another business dream becomes reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. And 
you know, what's incredible here is that Shopify, no matter how big you actually want to grow, Shopify is there to empower you, to give you the tools that you need, the confidence, the control to take your business to the next level. So whether you're selling fedoras or bike helmets, whatever it happens to be, Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Now, Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person point of sale system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across uh, social media marketplaces, things like you know, places like TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. It's packed with industry-leading tools that are ready to ignite your growth, to propel your growth forward. Shopify gives you the, the complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, uh, Shopify is there to support you and your success every step of the way. Now, I don't sell things online, so I haven't had the experience of selling with Shopify. I do have a friend, though, an amazing artist who has sold some of his art online, has used Shopify for that process, and he just loved it. He was a big fan of Shopify. Now it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify yourself today. This is possibility, and it's powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period. All you got to do is go to shopify.com slash twit, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash twit to take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash twit. That's where you go. And we thank Shopify for their support of Tech News Weekly. All right. Story of the week time. And I think, Micah, you set this one up uh, however many weeks ago, a couple of yeah, months ago, I think at this point. Mm-hmm. And then I ran across this because it's kind of been, you know, silence, but there's been a lot happening behind the scenes around this anchor Ufi security camera. Um, let's go ahead and call it a kerfuffle. Um, so <laughs> a camera a, kerfuffle. I love That's that word. It it's, it's, yes, it's a security camera kerfuffle. There we go. That could even be the title. Uh, so let's, uh, let's kind of go back in time and just do a little recap of what happened late last year. A customer was actually able to access unencrypted video streams, uh, from the hardware using VLC media players, just a software media player, you know, very well known. Um, it's an excellent kind of open source media player, nothing special. This after the company had said that its video feeds were encrypted and protected from prying eyes, though, obviously here evidence showed this was incorrect. Right. But that's what that's what their claim was. And that's what users kind of expect out of a security uh, company, a security camera company online. It then took the company three weeks to address this December case. And when it did, it wasn't completely open. It wasn't very honest about it. Anchor said no user data has been exposed and the potential security flaws discussed online are speculative. However, we do agree that there are some key areas for improvement. So we have made authentication changes. So, you know, it, it's, it was kind of like a partial admission. It was like, eh, well, that didn't happen. But we do see how something could happen. And we're making the changes you have nothing to worry about. Well, after more weeks of being badgered by The Verge, they finally acknowledged that things were not so good here and that they actually did have something to acknowledge here. The Verge had been prompting the company to address the encryption flaws. Uh, numerous questions over the course of a few weeks. And uh, Anchor stayed silent. Well, The Verge finally told them, hey, 
we're going to write about your silence here. Like we need to know, people need to know that you're not responding on this. And only then did anchor finally come clean. So under the threat of, you know, even more revelations of, okay, anchor is not really actually talking about this issue at all. Not only that, the company is now admitting to things that it wasn't willing to admit to before, which, which I'll be completely honest, reminds me of the last pass hack and some of these recent situations mm-hmm. where something happens and the company is not willing early in to, is not willing to do the right thing early on. Right. Um, we as users might be able to understand if a mistake is made and the company comes out immediately and says, holy moly, yes, a mistake was made. We feel awful about it. We're doing everything we can, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're going to lose some users. You might not lose everybody. But when the company comes out and says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. That didn't happen. You know, tries to kind of like wave their hand and get you to forget, you know, pull some Jedi trick or whatever. Um, and then later ends up having to kind of come clean about it. Man, all hope is lost, in my opinion. Uh, So according to The Verge, uh, they say in a series of emails to The Verge, Anchor has finally admitted its Eufy security cameras are not natively end-to-end encrypted. They can and did produce unencrypted video streams for Eufy's web portal, like the ones we accessed from across the U.S. uh, using an ordinary media player. But here's what I think is really interesting about this. Anchor revealed uh, how sometimes you can take facts and kind of... You can you can say something that's I guess we'll we'll put it in air quotes factual, but it's not really representative of the entire truth. So what Anchor said here, it's all about semantics. In other words, what Anchor said uh, initially is Anchor addressed that the video sent to its Eufy app on the iPhone and Android did use end-to-end encryption, as they claimed, right? So they had claimed, hey, wait, we're, we're using end-to-end encryption. I don't know what you're talking about. That did happen with the Eufy app uh, bringing video to iPhone and Android. Recorded videos sent to the web also used end-to-end encryption, but live video streams sent to the web were not encrypted or authenticated. So, you know, they weren't totally lying right so when they said (laughs) you know what i mean it's like okay semantics it's it's not the entire truth but it's truthy enough and these are the kinds of things especially when it comes to a security company or a company that creates security products that really just take it down the rungs on the ladder to the point to where it's like i you know no matter what you do I can't get over this yeah this is just a, a bridge too far so i don't know what what do you think so I'm of mixed. Okay. So first of all, I am glad that, um, the verge and in particular, can you remind me of the author? Uh, because he was the person who has been following up on this regularly. I am. Yeah. This so, is Sean Hollister. Yeah. Sean Friend Hollister. Of the show. Uh, Sean Hollister. Yeah. Uh, at the verge is doing such a good job in making them own up to everything as much as possible. I mean, the whole uh, email and the responses were published in this verge piece. And I like that this was an itemized situation where every single uh, post was, or question was responded to. You can, as a user of the product or as someone who has recommended the products in the past, go through and read everything and understand exactly how they, uh, you know, responded to what had happened. What had happened was, and so I do enjoy, uh, or I'm very happy that it was handled in that way. Um, and I do think that there is a possibility um, for a company to make a mistake 
and then come back from that mistake and not make that mistake anymore. Um, like I, I give, I give companies that, that chance, that one chance, and there are some who won't and that's fine. But for me, I think what this does is it really forces the company to then do right by its customers in the best way possible and the best way it can going forward. Um, you know, they're hiring an independent uh, security person to look into all of this stuff to make sure that um, it is secure. They are right. not uh, holding back on the answers. I think one of the big things here and why there was such a delay in providing answers early on is because unfortunately they didn't have those answers. You have different parts of a company, different groups, smaller groups that are in charge of making a new uh, feature for a product and they make that feature happen however they can make that feature happen. And you may not be privy to the fact that it was done in a way that it shouldn't have been done, which is exactly what happened here where you want to have web access for the tool. And so we are trying to make it happen. And ooh, doing that end-to-end encryption is really going to make that difficult. So let's just not do it that way because you do have to log in in the first place. So that login serves as enough of a uh, barrier to entry those compromises that took place. Now the company is aware that that compromise took place. They've got this whole policy in place to make sure that those compromises aren't allowed to happen when it comes to teams working on specific features going forward. So I think that this this being laid out in the open and laid bare to its extent is what makes me feel uh, good about this because you see the company, the, the person... Uh, that is responding to the Verge's questions, that is responding to Sean Hollister's questions, is very clearly aware of everything now. And in answering, is answering to the extent possible. As opposed to, if they had answered some of these questions early on, I think they would have been those couched-in-nonsense answers that, that beat around the bush because they don't know everything. So they took the time to learn everything they possibly could to answer the questions to the fullest extent, and now they're putting in place these policies to make sure that this kind of thing does not happen again. So in that way, I honestly feel more secure, more safe buying um, a Eufy security camera than I did before I knew that this had happened. Because it's like how I've talked about with uh, VPNs. You don't really know how much a VPN is uh, truly protecting you until the company gets audited by the government, meaning that it's not mm. a company that yeah. they've paid to come in and audit. It's not uh, a situation where, you know, they're doing these independent. Uh, sec- no, it is a literal like put your hands down, step away from the machine. We're the government. We're coming in. We're uh, pulling your servers. And that's why I use ExpressVPN, uh, who is a sponsor. But this is just I'm making a point here. I'm not trying to sell this thing. When that happened, when there was a government in some other country that uh, went and pulled ExpressVPN servers, there was nothing there because that's how ExpressVPN works. But until that happened, you still have that part in the back of your brain like, okay, but when they say they're doing this, are they really doing it? So to have that yeah. fully confirmed that way was good. And the same thing applies here. You, There was a security researcher who found this flaw. Uh, the Verge went in on these people and made sure that they answered every question possible. And the company was forced to make every answer or, you know, to answer every one of those questions. So I think this is a win 
across all boards. I'm sure the company is feeling a little bit not that way because they've got to spend money to uh, patch up the reputation and all that kind of stuff. But I think in the long term, it's a win for the company as well, because now they've got more security in place than they ever have before. They've been tested uh, and that is great. And yeah, so I'm really happy about this whole thing, how it turned out in the end, and that the company is really seemingly trying to fix what was not good and what was uh, what needed to be fixed. Yeah, it's it's interesting um, kind of hearing your kind of your your side of this, because I, I totally I totally hear what you're saying. I think the challenge here is that when it comes to security, some people are going to be able to put at bay the the thing that happened and trust the future in a situation like this based on their reaction. Other people, it's like one and done, right? Because when it comes to security, it's like, give me one reason not to trust you. And once I have that reason, like it's my, it's my security, it's my privacy, it's super important. That's enough for me. And so it'll be interesting to see what the, what the wider spread reaction is to something like this. Does this harm the brand long term, even if they've made these changes? Is that enough? Will some people still look at this and be like, yeah, well, you know, still at the end of the day, they said these things because they were badgered by the verge in order to do so like that, you know, that's an obstacle for some. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what this means for the brand. I, which by the way, I should also mention, like, I, I don't own any, uh, any of these cameras. Um, I, I maybe have an anchor product, but you know, I, I don't even know if it's, and I can't even off the top of my head tell you what it is. So I, so I don't have any like brand affinity of any sort to speak from. Like I, like I want them to succeed or not to succeed. I just see it through that security lens. And I'm like, if I was in the market for a security camera, me in the future, mm-hmm. I would remember this and it would be Absolutely. a reason for me to, to really consider like, am I okay with that? Where, where does the status now? Is that good enough? And I know it's going to turn some people off, but yeah, it's probably going to win some people over as well. You're right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing too. Um, you know, I, I, I guess, what is it? Who had the big data hack experience or one of the um, credit oh. things? And we They've don't all really been, like, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They've all been, yeah, I think it was Experian was the one with the big hack. Yeah. And so I guess in the end, these things happen. Um, and ultimately when it comes to, I know I, I, I don't own stock or anything like that in, in security cameras, it's more about for me, um, the idea that probably every security camera maker has some, um, there's something somewhere that could be, you know, uh, used to the advantage of a, of a hacker and sure. it's just about having found it. And if there's nothing's a, 100%. What I'm, yeah, yeah. And what I'm celebrating here, the reason why I'm so positive about it is I am celebrating the company's um, response now to this because yeah. again, we could have had early answers, I think, but those early answers would not have been accurate. And I'm glad that the company took time to answer accurately as opposed to just, oh, we're, you know, well, it's it's fine in this way and it's this and that. And just I'm going to ignore these questions. So, yes, you are right. And this is also a celebration for journalism as well, because you're right that it's there's a possibility that maybe nothing would have been answered if uh, The Verge hadn't uh, badgered <laughs> as they did. Mm. So, 
yeah, this yeah. is just yeah. all around. I, I celebrate it. Yeah. Cool. Well, what uh, we got your story of the week coming up next as well. Yeah, um, we will talk. It's more about AI, folks, but uh, (laughs) it was was a really good piece. And so I had to make it my story of the week. Um, Before we get to that, though, I do want to tell you about Dell Client Solutions Devices orchestrated by the experts at CDW because they're bringing you this episode of Tech News Weekly. The people at CDW get that your unique workforce has unique needs for their devices, especially as we all continue with hybrid work. It's a challenge for IT to supply devices that can meet everyone's needs everywhere they work so that they can stay connected throughout the day. Luckily, CDW can help custom configure Dell client solutions devices for a more personalized user experience. What this means is that your workforce gets adaptability for performance with AI-based software. It learns how your team works and it optimizes workflows. And check this out. Dell Client Solutions devices have intelligent noise detection and cancellation, along with high-quality video that adjusts with your lighting. That's pretty amazing, right? This fleet of devices is really great because wherever your team works, its built-in security responds to malicious attacks, providing a secure way to boost collaboration and productivity from anywhere. When it comes to seamless experiences, Dell Systems makes adaptive performance possible, CDW makes it powerful. Learn more at cdw.com slash Dell client. Thanks so much to CDW for sponsoring this week's episode of Tech News Weekly. Back to the show and it's time for my story of the week. Uh, This one comes from Vox and it is uh, from Peter Kafka and it's all about um, kind of comparing the AI boom to the booms of yesteryear, the booms in tech of yesteryear. There have been many a boom <laughs> uh, that has happened and that has taken place. And one of those big booms was the switch from sort of physical music sales to digital music sales. And Kafka talks in the piece about how in, in the beginning, uh, CDs, well, in the beginning of the shift, I should say, because of course, in the beginning, you had records and all that kind of thing. But in the beginning of um, the shift from physical to digital, uh, CD sales were uh, doing well. And then online sharing services like Napster came along. And people realized that they could share the music that they had with others and others could share their music with you. And so you were kind of passing back and forth music, which resulted in the extreme reduction in the sales of CDs. People weren't buying them as much. So the music industry said, we need to keep making money. This is not going to work. And they did a bunch of lawsuits, um, as Kafka points out in the piece as well. Uh, Not only were companies like Napster sued, but also individuals, uh, including a 60-something-year-old grandmother um, whose computer was used for music sharing. So lots of people got in trouble with that. And then what ended up happening is services like Spotify, first and other streaming media services came along. Uh, Well, I mean, we had iTunes at first, but really it was streaming media that kind of changed uh, even more so the scope of things because Spotify said, you pay us every month and we will let you listen to whatever music you want to listen to, or don't even pay us, just have a free service with ads. And it ended up resulting in the music industry, the people specifically who own the rights to the music, making a lot of money 
when they had not been making a lot of money for quite a while. So they discovered a new way to make profit and it worked for them. And so then the comparison now is to this new AI future where uh, that we can kind of like take that same situation and perhaps apply it to these generative AI systems um, that when AI is sort of in its boom phase right now, You've got uh, lots of news organizations talking about it. You've got a lot of people using it. But one of those telltale signs seems to be you've got lawsuits against it. And there are quite a few lawsuits right now against OpenAI uh, as well as the uh, – I can't think of what it's called, but they make stable diffusion. Stability AI. Stability, um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Getty Images um, is saying it will sue – then there are several uh, anonymous copyright owners who have sued OpenAI and Microsoft for GitHub's Copilot uh, platform, as well as uh, the another suit by those same people who are representing the anonymous copyright owners who are suing Stability AI for that same reason, all because these uh, individuals or these companies are saying, you have taken our... Uh, proprietary data and made use of it for what you want to do. So the argument is um, if a system, like I mentioned earlier, the Pac-Man is going around on the internet and gobbling up all of these little dots, but this dot belongs to uh, Billy Jean um, Zippo and this dot belongs to uh, Kathy Qtex and this dot belongs to, uh, oh, I need something else on my desk. Um, Arnold lithium. Then they are all saying, that's mine. I made that. How can you take that and make it part of your system? And open AI is saying, by the way, it's a lithium battery, not just like straight up lithium. Anyway, um, they are saying you can't take that and then make a profit off of it without paying me. And OpenAI is kind of in, well, they're not specifically saying it, but the, the argument in, in return is you are one, <laughs> it's like you can't handle the truth sort of situation because it's, you are one minuscule speck of a dust of a speck of dust on top of that speck of dust um, bit of importance to the larger whole that is making what I do possible. Um, so the, the argument there is kind of like, individually these things aren't valuable it's the the whole scope of things that makes it valuable but there are quite a few lawsuits uh in place and kafka is kind of wondering if this if we'll see the same thing happen where you will have these companies that end up being kind of the forerunners or the front runners rather that are uh have figured it out have cracked the code and what they end up doing is kind of like what spotify does where you make deals with these different organizations um, that make them money, kind of like the uh, music rights holders, but this time it would be the sort of uh, image rights holders or video rights holders, or in the case of uh, AI-generated music, music rights holders, to pay them a uh, you know, flat licensing fee or a, a licensing fee based on how that data is trained. But one of the big problems with it is if one bit of text generation um, has even, you know, 100,000 data points tied to it. The, the way that this system has developed uh, this bit of text is through 100,000 different bits of data that it's gathered. Then 
you are sort of increasing the complexity of the the system. They're already kind of running up against capacity to just generate the stuff in the first place. So to then have kind of like a subsystem that is paying attention to all of those data points and being able to report those data points so that everybody can make their little bit of money off of it, that is another layer of complexity that's involved here. Ooh. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's getting, it'll be very messy um, is the the larger kind of uh, observation, obviously. Uh, but curiosity, as far as uh, Peter Kafka goes, in terms of how this might relate to tech booms we've seen in the past. Um, I don't know. I, this continues to go back to the same conversation that we always have uh, about... The argument involved with using something that's available online as a means to create something new. And I can't help but continue to go back to um, artists who learn how to paint by mimicking the work of their favorite artists or maybe even not their favorite artists, just the work of other artists. And they learn how to do the brush strokes the same way. And then they eventually start a career and they learned by looking at artists who came before them or in the case of, mm-hmm. of um, I don't know, historians who their everything that they do is based on stuff that's already taken place, already happened. Um, or a photographer who gains inspiration by looking at other photographers work and going, oh, I should try to recreate that. And they develop their skills and then they're suddenly or me. Um, who I I like to make crochet creations. And in that case, over, I mean, most of the time I'm uh, buying patterns, so that doesn't quite apply. But what does apply is over time, I've learned how different techniques result in different shapes for these, these patterns. And so then I could go about making, you know, making something just wholesale from scratch. But the way that I learned how to do that was through other people who came before me who made these things, who by me practicing with it, I learned how to do it myself to create whatever it is I'm trying to create. So I can make a circle, I mean, a, a sphere um, based on what I learned from from reading books and uh, learning from others. All of it is learned. So what's the difference here? Because it's a machine, that's what makes it not okay that... Um, it's picked up on on what's already available. It, I think it's, it's also, odd, right? yeah, I think it's also uh, potentially a misunderstanding of how, what it means when a machine learns. Like, what does a machine learning actually mean? Mm. Like, I guess as I'm, as I'm listening to you, I'm trying to, like, d- figure out the difference between, it's one thing to be inspired by something, like, like I'm learning how to do something artistic, right? And so I watch my favorite artist draw that picture, and I emulate as I watch that technique and everything, and I come up with something similar but not done by that artist. That artist really, other than like just doing what they do and showing me kind of their process, that's where their involvement ends. For me, I'm still the executor of that technique. I'm still, it, it's, it's not a facsimile. It's, it's my interpretation. Even if I'm following that closely, there's certain details I lose, I miss, certain things I choose to do that that artist doesn't do that make it mine. And I think the misunderstanding, or maybe it's not a misunderstanding, I guess it, it could be spot on depending on who you're talking to, but about how these systems learn is that they're ingesting actual 
uh, actual uh, pieces, right? Actual pieces of art, uh, art created by a particular person. So it's almost the same in in this line, you know, rationale uh, or way of thinking as like making a photocopy. I remember when it was, you know, it was frowned upon oh, to, yeah. to like make a photocopy of art or whatever. You know, you, yeah. you got to pay for that art. You can't just make a photocopy of it. It's kind of. In, through that lens, that's what it ends up being. It's like, well, you're making a photocopy of this, and sure, it's creating something new, but it's based on this copy of an actual thing that belongs to somebody else, and that person you know, created that, and that's not okay. Um, another thing that kind of strikes me is the right to be forgotten and how that uh-huh. relates to search and this has been you know going back and forth for years right we still don't have that figured out as far as if i have shared things publicly online and then down the line i realize i don't want that to be out there anymore that's right to be forgotten and there are certain places around the world where you can actually do something about that um i wonder you know how that applies here if it's less about uh the it's less about payments out to the people you know, who created the source material that created that uh, stable diffusion piece and more about I'm an artist. I do not want my my stuff to be included in that data set. So I have the right to be forgotten by it. And what does that system look like? I, yeah. huh. Who knows how this is all going to turn out? But no matter how you put it, it's it's messy and complicated. But that doesn't mean there won't be a solution at some point or something that makes everybody at least a little bit happier. <laughs> Yeah, that's you. That's that's a good point there at the end, um, and it does kind of provide some nuance. Um, I, this is always going to be, I think, a, a, a tough thing to figure out, and I haven't heard anyone nail it yet, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's not been this. Oh, that that is exactly how I feel about it. You know, I haven't had that yet, yeah. so I'm still looking for that. Um, but Anthony yeah, yeah, Anthony uh, yeah. Nielsen just put in Discord, and this is this is I think a really great example, um, kind of along the lines of what I was saying. He said it's like the early days of rap and sampling and rights, mm-hmm. right? Taking something that existed that was created by someone else, uh, literally copying that that information, that music, that that vocal line or whatever. I mean, you listen to modern music today, and it is filled with this. They they figured it out. I mean, there's some stuff that gets used and doesn't get, you know, doesn't the money doesn't find its way back to the original source. But um, that's only if it's completely unidentifiable. And I know artists do that on purpose. But um, there's a lot of stuff that is is there and is represented. And that money does go back to the initial uh, person who created it. So there are ways we're just at the very, very beginning of something incredibly complex. It's like it's like. Uh, audio sampling uh, times a million as far as complexity is concerned, you know, potentially. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, that has added another, another wrinkle of things to think about. That's right. <sighs> All right. Well, we have reached the end of this episode of Tech News Weekly. Thank you for uh, hopping onto the TNW train along with us for the last hour. TNW publishes every Thursday at twit.tv slash TNW. That's where you can go to find all the ways to subscribe to the show in audio and video formats. So you get it in your podcatcher and you can just, you know, hop in the car and go and listen to us along the way. Nice. And if you'd like to get all of our shows ad free, guess what? We've got a way for you to do that. It's called Club Twit at twit.tv slash club twit. Starting at seven bucks a month or $84 a year, you can join the club, join the fun, join the adventure. And in doing so, you are supporting us 
the content we create. And so you get every single Twitch show with no ads. You also get access to the Twit Plus bonus feed that has extra content you won't find anywhere else. Behind the scenes, before the show, after the show, outtakes, all sorts of fun stuff in that Twit Plus bonus feed. And access to the members-only Discord server. It's a fun place to go to chat with your fellow Club Twit members and also those of us here at Twit. Uh, If you haven't ever used Discord, then think of it a lot like Slack or Microsoft Teams. It's just a bunch of different chat rooms, essentially, where you can post photos and uh, text and links and all sorts of fun stuff. Twit.tv slash Club Twit is how you sign up. Uh, I say starting at seven bucks a month because we've heard from some folks who said, hey, look, I'd like to give you more money because I think that the subscription is worth more than $7 a month. And so we've made that possible. And I think part of the reason that's happened is because we continue to make the club more and more valuable. Uh, We have added the Untitled Linux Show, which is a show, as you might imagine, all about Linux. We've added Hands-On Windows, which is Paul Therott's awesome show, a short format show all about Windows tips and tricks, so you can make sure you're making the most of that Windows machine you have. And my show, Hands-On Mac, which is a weekly show that's also short format that has lots of tips and tricks and fun stuff. And I'm really excited about today's episode, which will go out a little bit later today, because it's all about adding security keys uh, to your Apple ID. So yes, Apple has added this ability that's new uh, to use a security key to log in and make sure that you are you and prove that you are you. Uh, so please join the club at twit.tv slash club twit. Uh, if you'd like to follow me online, I'm at Micah Sargent on many a social media network, including on Mastodon at Micah Sargent at Mastodon.social. Um, you can also find the rest of my links at uh, chihuahua.coffee, C-H-I-H-U-A-H-U-A.coffee. And please go check out the other shows I do. Again, later today, if you're a club twit member for uh, Hands on Mac, on Sundays, uh, the show Ask the Tech Guys, which I record with Leo Laporte, where he and I take your questions live on air and answer them. And on Tuesdays for iOS Today, which I co-host with Rosemary Orchard, super fun, good times, uh, where we are also helping you make the most of those Apple devices you have. Jason Howell, what about you? Well, you can find me on Mastodon, twit.social slash at Jason Howell. On Twitter, of course, still at Jason Howell there. And uh, doing all about Android every Tuesday, twit.tv slash AAA. We'll be talking about the Samsung event in greater detail uh, next Tuesday for sure. Uh, Big thanks to everyone behind the scenes. John Ashley, uh, Burke. Uh, John Slanina, I don't know that he works on this show specifically, but I'm going to call you out anyways, John, because you deserve a thank you. Uh, thanks to everyone who helps us do this show. Without them, you wouldn't have a show that you'd be listening or watching uh, right now. And thanks to you for listening to and watching this show. We'll see you next time on Tech News Weekly. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Hey, folks, I'm Ant Pruitt. And what do you get your favorite tech geek that has everything? A Club Twit gift subscription, of course. Twit podcasts keep them informed and entertained with the most relevant tech news podcasts available. With a Club Twit subscription, they get access to all of our podcasts ad-free. They also get access to our members-only Discord, access to exclusive outtakes, behind-the-scenes, and special content such as AMAs, which I just love hosting, plus exclusive shows such as Hands on Mac, Hands on Windows, and the Untitled Linux Show. Purchase your geek's gift at twit.tv slash club twit, and it will thank you every day.